This is Journey with Care. We're in our series, The Flavors of Care. In a world where the pursuit of perfection and unwavering principles prevails, there exists a singular individual who personifies the essence of improvement. The improver, widely recognized as the Enneagram Type 1, or the perfectionist. Driven by an insatiable desire for self-improvement and the need to be good, right, and virtuous, the improver strives to make the world a better place, seeking harmony and order in every aspect of their lives. Their relentless dedication sets them apart as they seek to embody their ideals. Behind their steadfast exterior, the improver carries a heart filled with a sense of responsibility and a commitment to doing what is right. Though their pursuit of perfection can sometimes lead to self-criticism and high standards, they also possess empathy and compassion for others. Within their community, the improver values justice and fairness, though they may not necessarily play the role of a guardian. They advocate for what they believe to be right. Despite their pursuit of perfection, the improver understands the value of vulnerability and humility. They strive to provide a safe place for others to express their emotions, offering unwavering support and understanding. In their interactions, they aim to forge deep connections with those around them. In the company of the improver, one may feel inspired to unlock their own potential and strive for personal growth. Their dedication to improvement and adherence to their principles can serve as a catalyst for positive change. If you missed our introductory episode where we overviewed all the Enneagram types, catch it at journeywithcare.ca slash flavors. Embarking on this journey today, our host Wendy is joined by a wonderful guest, Heather Nolan, a part of our Care Impact family right here in Winnipeg. As an improver herself, she brings a wealth of experiences and helps shine a light on why individuals of type one hold a measurable value in our community. Together, they'll shed light on how this Enneagram Type 1 genuinely cares for others. Join us on this enlightening journey and explore the magic the perfectionist weaves into our lives and communities. Let's get curious and let's start the conversation. Today, we're going to dig into a flavor we affectionately call the improver. And with me here in studio in our Shasta, we have with us Heather Nolan. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Heather, can you tell me a little bit about your role here at Care Impact? Sure. I'm regional manager in Winnipeg, overseeing Care Portal. So I get to work with agencies and workers in their entering requests. And then I also get to work with churches and the volunteers that help meet requests. Yeah. And you're doing a wonderful job. And I'm just so glad that you can come on to the podcast because I want people to hear your story and the beauty that you bring. The reason I wanted you particularly, I know you didn't come here like raising your hand, say, pick me, pick me. But the reason I really wanted to invite you onto this podcast is because you bring a beauty about yourself as an improver, that flavor that our team needs. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper. And I, I think other people will identify with you and also see the beauty in it. So I'm looking forward to, to digging in. When we talk about the improver, also known as the Enneagram One, in general's broad strokes, how would you describe what it's like to be an improver, the flavor of improver? Can you give me a, a little bit of a taste of that? I like to problem solve. 
I like to have tasks or jobs that allow me to problem solve because then I feel uh, I can check off a box, so to speak, at the end of it. I know that I've been described as a perfectionist, which was shocking to me. How so? Well, in some of my self-reflections and just trying to sort out myself and some of my own thoughts in life, I had someone say to me, well, it's because you're a perfectionist. And I was shocked. I was like, well, I'm not a perfectionist because in my mind, that's not a positive trait. So I wouldn't have labeled myself as a perfectionist. And when I told my husband what that person had said, he laughed and he was like, you mean you never thought you were a perfectionist? <laughs> and so I can see that is I'm probably true. I'm wondering though, is it, if it is because you're high standards because you're never perfect enough. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's how I used to define or do define perfectionist, that it, I never would have qualified myself that way. I do look for the right answer or the uh -huh. right way to do something. And that's probably by definition of perfectionist. And I don't like the term good enough. Right. Or I'm learning to actually appreciate the term good enough. But typically that would really rub me the wrong way if somebody said, well, it's good enough. Or if I'm doing a job and it was good enough, I typically wouldn't settle for that. So I think that's something that many people would describe me as, thinking that way, functioning that way. Yeah, in the introduction uh, to this series, and I encourage our listeners to go back there if they haven't heard it already, I alluded to the fact that why I loved having you on the team. I was referring to you, Heather. <laughs> I don't know if I gave your name or not, but I, I was mentioning how much I valued having you on the team because I think in high level terms in just kind of visionary and it'll work itself out. However, I could present to you an idea and I say, okay, poke holes at it. You know those times, right? I'm like, Heather, can you can you vet this idea? Can you vet this this document? And what I love about it, and I think sometimes improvers sometimes give themselves a hard time or others might see it in the wrong way, but in a good way, you are able to see how we can make it better. And we want better. We, we want it. Yeah. We're, we're after the same end goal to connect and equip the church. So I know that if I can get an improver on board on something and they can poke holes at it, they will indefinitely. And you're usually right or you're always right because <laughs> you've done your work. Um, you have ways of seeing things in a detailed way. And I've really appreciated that. Yeah, I think you're probably one of the first people that has embraced that in me that it's okay to look at the what ifs or what's wrong with this and how can we fix it. I don't know that I've experienced a lot of other people who have encouraged that side. Mm. And maybe that's why I've often looked at it as a downfall to be that constant question asker or kind of living in the what ifs a little bit too much. Though living in those what ifs allows me to find the answers before the questions get asked and therefore present a better product. Yeah, that's really good. Now, a really serious question here, Heather. If you were an ice cream, what flavor would you be? Every flavor we're asking this. Okay, what flavor would I be or what flavor would I? Well, maybe they're one and the same because like sometimes <laughs> people say their favorite flavor that they like to eat sometimes reflects their own personality too. Well, my, my new favorite probably for the last year has been from a little place by our house and it's a vegan ice cream. And it's like- <laughs> I love this. Keep going, keep going. I, I don't know if it was peach or mango, something like that, but it had little bits in it. Anyways, vegan because it just sits with me better than a dairy ice cream. 
And my family always wants to go for ice cream. So here's the solution. We can go here. I can have vegan ice cream. Everybody can have regular. We're happy. So that's my new favorite. Now everybody has to go listen to the intro because we coined the one as loving a mango locally sourced ice cream. That was the right thing. <laughs> it's really good, though. I know. It's good. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, it and improvers like things to be good and the right things. And it, yeah. it sits morally conscious. It sits well with you. Oh, Heather, we did not rehearse this, but I love this already. (laughs) Let's keep going. Oh, I love it. Um, Now, I want to go back to what you were just saying here just a moment ago about being an improver, seeing things through the lens of an Enneagram one and not necessarily always being embraced. Uh, Maybe that's yourself. Maybe it's others. Can you tell me a little bit more what that's like to navigate this world in the way you see the world? Yeah. I think that I saw those traits as negative and probably still do to a certain extent because they kind of edge towards arrogance Mm. and I don't want to come off that way, even though sometimes I think I'm right. I might hold back because I don't want to present as tilting towards that arrogant side or that know-it-all or trying to school someone or those edges. So I think sometimes, often I would hold back in many situations because, yeah, I don't want to present that way. And I I think that sometimes my gut instinct or what I'm inclined to think is not based on reading a bunch of books or Mm -hmm. being super educated or having all the facts in line. It's because this is just what I think. And often that gut is right, but I don't have anything to back it. Often people want the backing of Why do you think that's the right answer? Yeah, because uh, we've talked about like the eights, nines and ones, the challengers, the harmonizers and the improvers. We do operate out of that gut. But tell me, is that gut often wrong or is it usually onto something if if people would listen to that? My experience has been my gut is often right. Ding, ding, ding. And I find a certain satisfaction, which I don't always share, when my gut has proven to be right. I think my husband's probably the only one that gets to see it. See, I told you, you know? (laughs) Yeah, often it's right. When we did the Enneagram test, one of them, we sat around as a family. So my two daughters, son-in-laws, my husband, we all sat around and we did this hour long, whatever it was. And for the book we were using, the tagline was a number one usually thinks they're right, but they usually are. And so that's what I often tell my family. Wait, wait, I, you think I'm right. Yeah, but I usually am. And so I I joke with them about that, but yeah. And I would say that too, when you say something, because I, I realize it takes courage to say something out loud and be that voice, be your authentic self and to call things out that need to be called or to point things out that need to be pointed out. But when you speak out of your gut instinct, it's worth paying attention to because it's something that I may not have seen otherwise. So let's talk about the community. And I know your role here with Care Impact as a regional manager in Winnipeg very much is involved with the community, both on social service levels, ministries, churches. You are sort of the bridge, the glue between making the care portal be functional in a relational kind of way. The technology does its thing, but you really are the relational glue between those things so that the community gets served and social service gets served. How does being an improver serve the community well? What do you bring of yourself? Not just the job description, but what do you bring of yourself that makes this work better? I think I'm 
highly relational. So as much as I'm a rule follower, I also want to see relationships grow and thrive. And I think that's a big part of being regional manager is, like you said, the bridges between agency and churches. And I've seen examples where you can just see whether it's a church responder or an agency worker, just break down some of the stereotypes or thoughts they have. And I feel like that's all happened because we are relationally coming together. We're having hard conversations and we're having happy conversations. And I feel like I can bring a place of, let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. I often say I'm just a truth teller, so I'm just going to get it out there. Let's put it on the table. If I'm wrong, I want you to tell me and let's work it through. And I think whichever side I'm talking to, I like to bring that thought process and that aspect of just let's say it like it is and then let's mm-hmm. find solutions. And so sometimes there's requests that are really hard to navigate and hard to whether it's it's with a family that's in a really hard place and we need the worker to stay highly involved or it's just logistic. It's it's carrying three couches and six beds. And, and so we just have the conversations and build those relationships. Would you say you're a good strategist because... We do a lot of problem solving, trying to navigate a new path that's never been built before, a pathway that's never been uh, forged before in Canada. So problem solving is sort of our middle name, right? What I've noticed is that there's also a lot of strategy you bring and not just identifying here's the problem, but what if we created this manual? What if we created this document? Um, what if we created a way of checks and balances to make sure that everybody is trained well? Because what you are also saying is not that you want to be good. You want other people to succeed as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think the the strategy behind some of those manuals we've created or integrated some of the problems I've heard come up in conversations into the trainings so that we say, this is a common thing I'm hearing from agency workers. Let's put it in our training so the question is answered before it starts to come. But to see agency workers who, it's it's not about saying, I love Care Portal, but to see them say, I love Care Portal after being frustrated at the beginning or after being super hesitant because they're working with the church. I feel like we've been able to give them that because we've trained them well. We've talked through hard things with them. We've had successes with them because requests have been met. We've been able to relieve stress for them and help them succeed in their job. You know, go home at the end of the day knowing I don't need to worry about that little girl because that church is bringing her a bed. I don't need to wonder tonight, what is she sleeping on tonight? So I think all those things we've created tools to hand to either the church responder or to the agency, help them succeed, help the process to run smoother. We're on that journey of hopefully creating that that cycle yeah. of success for them. So what is a, a really good day look like for you where you feel really satisfied and feel very fulfilled in who you are as an improver? What does a good day look like? Well, it looks like a lot of check boxes on my list. Do you make lists? I have a list every day Uh that I have on the wall in front of me on the computer. So a good day is a lot of problems solved. Like that really, I think that fills me up. We use that term. If I have a bunch of emails and I always come into work to a bunch of emails. And if there are things that I can problem solve and I can find solutions to or put them in motion to find the solution, that feels like a really good day to me. Or if it's a day spent training, that always fills me up. Like it was productive. What about the training makes it so productive? I feel like it's the preparing them 
now I think they're prepared to do the job that they want to do or that we're asking them to do. Those sessions always have really good questions. And so to be able to see maybe a change in their demeanor or how their their stress level when I answer a question that, you know, what if the church responds this way? What are we supposed to do? Or whatever it is, right? Whatever those questions are, to just see just this sigh in the room that questions have been answered. So that always, uh, we come away from that with a lot of questions answered. And I like to be able to do that. On the flip side, if those questions don't get answered, I get a little mm. a little frustrated <laughs> with myself. And, you know, maybe I don't sleep at night because I need to find a way to answer those questions. But yeah, the training, I really enjoy the training and seeing a worker or a responder being able to take the reins themselves and go. They don't always need to be handheld along the Mm -hmm. way at the beginning you do, but then to be able to see them to just go and do it, that I like that. And as an improver, do you find that sometimes people don't want to see those things or ways to improve, or they don't necessarily appreciate the perspectives that you bring? What does that look like? Yeah, I think that's probably experiences like that in my life where there's been pushback or questions or hesitancy to listen to those kind of things is probably why I have that thought process of I shouldn't speak up or I shouldn't say if I think that is wrong or I shouldn't say this is a different way to do it. In my mind, probably thinking a better way to do it. (laughs) So that pushback, yeah, sometimes it's outright. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I'm not going to do it that way. I think you're wrong. And I can handle that. That's okay. I'd rather that than someone sit silently and say nothing. Uh Uh-huh. I can handle the pushback that doesn't worry me because I feel like through conversation, we can get to a common ground. Not that you always have to do what I'm saying, but let's at least talk about it and find the best way for us. And that's probably maybe what I've learned in the last five years is my way isn't necessarily the only way. Mm -hmm. And so we can find a common ground. So I think when there's pushback, and I experienced that, I experienced some pushback with someone who either doesn't understand the why of why it has to be done this way or, you know, whatever questions that that cause them to have pushback. That doesn't bother me. We can just talk it through. As someone who's on our team and maybe family members or community church, how can we love an improver well? How can we show you that we truly care for you? One of the things I, I learned about myself was I was having a review at one of the jobs I was at and the person reviewing me was giving very kind words of affirmation, which always is lovely to hear. You've done something right. You've done something good. And I made a joke and I said, well, if if you really want me to believe what you're saying, you would have brought me a coffee too, not just told me. Because often words don't always mean a lot. Uh Action has to back it up. And that was all joke. We laughed about it. And then I thought about it later. I thought, I think that's true about me. Yeah. Words of affirmation are good. That's nice. Action actually speaks more to me than just that. So I think that's one of the things I'm learning in my relationships and and the freedom to communicate to people that this is what kind of fills me up or this is what speaks to me. It's um, coming alongside and doing for or with. Yeah, it's not just saying, hey, you did a great job on the manual, but actually implementing it, reinforcing it. It's actually seeing courses of, of change in a congregation or in a community because you've been able to contribute. So you weren't only heard, but people were improved by it. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, when someone says, great job, if they commend something that's happened within Care Portal, Mm -hmm. often 
I have the thought of like, like, don't tell me how great it was what just happened. Go get in your truck and do it yourself, which it sounds really uh-huh. harsh, but that's the action piece as well of that speaks to the fact that you're on board, you're standing beside, we're linking arms, we're doing it together. I just don't want to pat on the back for it. I want you to do it as well. Right. And and it takes the burden of responsibility for the improver always having to do and be the improvement they want to see when you can influence. And, and we've been talking about throughout this series, how much our flavors need each other, how much the body of Christ needs each other, and how much all of these different flavors resemble the image of God and that we need each other, right? And so what I hear you saying is don't just let me improve on my own and and do things, come join with me. Let me flavor you a bit too, if so to speak, in that metaphor. Yeah, I think for a lot of my years, I really held tight to the belief of if I'm going to, if it's going to be done right, I'm going to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I really lived that whether, you know, personally or in my, my jobs I've had, and I've changed to this job or this task or this relationship is actually better if your peace will come alongside. So I believe that. I try to live that. Often I can default back to, I'll just get it done myself. But having people alongside you with different giftings and different ways of seeing mm-hmm. the situation, that's key, I think, to having it done well. Yeah. In what ways is that the most challenging, though, working with people that think it's just good enough or they're not even looking for better ways of doing it? What's the hardest to, to grapple with? I think for me, when I have a situation where I think this is the solution or this is what will make it better, or this will make it easier. That's the motivation I need to do it. So when I see someone else who maybe shares the thought that this is a problem and there might be a solution or might even share this is the solution, but doesn't put action behind it, that's super frustrating to me. So I've had to learn to let that go a little bit more, that not everybody is going to be the doer because I'll just sit in a frustration and get on this hamster wheel of why didn't they, why can't they, they should be able to, they should be able to, why why aren't they? I think I tend to, the older I get and the less I want to live in that state of stress, the more I just allow people to be who they are and gauge if there's room and an open door to have the conversations about change. Yeah. And I imagine that takes a process to get to that place of health, to be able to see things imperfectly as you see them and be okay with that. Truly okay, not just suppressed okay fine, I'll just do it myself or fine, we'll just be imperfect and it grates on you, right? Yeah. To get to that place of health. Can you talk to other improvers out there that are on that journey of health of what helped you get to at that place of health to be okay with imperfection and work with others in very diverse perspectives? I think for me, what really put me on that path to really see it was just some really hard life situations we got ourselves into. In a couple a couple years ago, and just having to having to stop and just take a minute and think and be in the moment and not be in control and have things that I couldn't control and I couldn't change and all my great ideas didn't change the outcomes. And so since then, I've had more patience with myself and others, I think, to just let some situations be. What can I do in a situation, which I think is a good 
question for my personality. What can I do and what is mine to do? I think that's a phrase I often say to myself. Is it mine to take care of? It might not be because I don't have to solve every problem I see. I think that drives a number one in an unhealthy way at times because we can get caught up in all the things that need to get done and ourselves or our relationships or our jobs, something's going to suffer because you can't do it all. But sometimes I I think I should be able to. I don't think I can. I think I should be able to. Uh, So you set high standards for yourself. And, And one of the things that we do know in general about improvers is that you have a you have an inner self critic that to silence that it's strong, right? Like you're harder on yourself than anybody else. The standards you put on yourself gets you at a a much deeper level than you would even project to, to the community or those around you. Yeah. I think that we all value from feedback from other people. Often I think I don't need to hear it because I'm saying it to myself. Like what's going on inside my head after an event or a task or a conversation Self-critic is strong and loud. And so that's why often I invite other people's criticism. Like, tell me, like, just put it on the table. Let's just talk about it. Because that often will balance what's going on in my head. And I can find the truth in it. Either, yeah, it's true. This needs to be improved. This was wrong. This needs to be helped. Or, oh, they're not all hot and bothered at me about that. And this is actually okay. And now the conversation's happened and it's no big deal. But that inner critic, I think that's as you grow, (laughs) you learn how to decipher what's real and what's not. Yeah, that's beautiful. I appreciate that answer. And and I'm just wondering, as you grow in the faith and you you journey with God, you've talked about some sense of surrender, but have you found that as a a theme within your relationship with God or what what has brought you closer to God? I think my relationship with God has has been very similar to my relationship with people. I'm a question asker. So I ask God a lot of questions and he is faithful to answer. I have lots of answers. And sometimes the answer is, I don't care, Heather. Like, where's your heart? What's your motive? And that's okay. That's an answer. And like, I believe what I read in the Bible. I believe what God is saying to me. There's not a lot of question there because I don't have, I don't have situations or proof that I need to doubt him. And I think that's that's a theme in my life. You have all my trust and all my commitment until you prove otherwise. And then it's a pretty quick drop down the cliff <laughs> if, you, if that changes. And so I feel like God has been faithful. Not that I never doubt. That's not true. I don't often go down that path very long. But I, I have stories that I write for myself or, or journals or whatever we call it that show me where God was faithful. And I'm quick to go back to those because that's what'll kind of balance me out again. I think that's neat because I don't know if everybody would respond in that same way, but you know God is good. He is right. He is just. Yeah. You know that he is leading us to paths of righteousness. Like all the things in scripture, there's actually a lot of improver type of qualities within God himself that he's created you. And I think that's beautiful when there are improvers that are on that path of, of growth and healing and, and discovery to bring that into the church and bring that into the community, those are attributes that we need, things that are good and right. 
Are there any other pieces of advice that you would have for those that may identify as an improver? Some things that you touched on uh, resonate with them or even those who are raising an improver or have them in the church or in the community. What pieces of advice would you give? I think one of the biggest things that has helped me and maybe for those who are struggling with a strong inner critic who has a really loud voice or meeting their own standards is to put yourself in relationship with people who you feel safe with, but are truth tellers. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I need someone to say, yeah, you're right. That was exactly as you think it is. And sometimes I need them to say, no, like you're misinterpreting the situation. It's not as bad as that. Or no, that wasn't what they said or that or wasn't what you did. catastrophizing something that maybe other people don't yes. see in the same way. So I think having a, a safe community, even if it's one other person that that is your kind of set me straight person or let me talk it through. I think one of the things that I've learned as a number one that might help other people is when people share with me what I perceive as a problem or a situation to be solved is to stop and not immediately solve the situation, which is what I'm inclined to do. Let me help you find a solution. And you're going to be so happy because we're going to have a solution is to ask the question, do you want me to just listen or do you want a solution? Because Ooh, not everybody wants a solution, but that's what I, I tend towards is finding the solution because it makes me feel like that was a productive conversation. I'm sure they feel great because I gave them a solution when depending who they are, they might leave the conversation feeling worse because maybe they think I've highlighted all their flaws when I think I'm helping. So to pause when you're listening to someone or in a situation and really say, what does this need me to do? Or what is the person or situation asking me to do? Well, Heather, I've really enjoyed my conversation with you and I look forward to continuing to work and continuing to improve Care Impact with you at the table. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for giving me the time to share. Thank you for joining us on our series, Flavors of Care. We will continue to celebrate the uniqueness of individuals and their ways of fitting into the community, sharing different perspectives and stories from different guests. We hope you'll join us and maybe you'll come out the other side learning a little bit more about yourself and those around you. And hey, just like ice cream, podcasts are so much more fun when shared with others. So share this series with a friend or family member and remember to visit our website, journeywithcare.ca to stay informed of upcoming podcast meetups, all the links, information on our guests, and so much more. Again, thank you for listening, and let's stay curious.